This is Archive Atlanta, episode 108, Roller Skating. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday and happy new year. I'm excited to be back in your podcast feeds. I am at the tail end of a small head cold that I got from my daughter. It's not COVID, so that's one thing to be thankful for, but if I sound a little funny, um, that is why. This week's topic was pretty fun. Regardless of age, I bet you have a personal memory that involves a pair of roller skates. For me, it was peak mid-90s. I was a tween, and there was a place where I grew up called Upskate that was the place to be. You'd have your birthday party there. You could meet boys from other towns there. Um, it was a place to jam out to your favorite songs. I, I have so many childhood memories from it. And almost every decade from 1870 onward had these same moments and these same memories. If I learned anything through this research, it's that the roller skating trend ebbs and flows, rinks come and go, but the activity has stood the test of time. The first recorded use of roller skates dates back to 1743, when actors in a theater production glued or stuck wheels to their shoes to act out ice skating on stage. 17 years after that, there's a Belgian man named John Merlin who designed the first laced roller skates. He also used those skates to skate through a party while playing a violin, where he then plowed into a 500-pound mirror, broke the violin, and left with severe injuries. It was a French inventor who patented his three-wheeled inline skate model in 1819, and these are probably the closest to what we consider a modern roller skate today, but the materials used made it impossible for skaters to actually lift their foot off the ground. So skating was really difficult and really cumbersome. American James Plimpton, who was an inventor from Massachusetts, changed the skating world in 1863 with his patent, which was the quad skate. These were easier and safer to use, and then rollers could steer left or right just by leaning their bodies. He also manufactured demand by establishing the first U.S. skating group, which was the New York Roller Skating Association, and in 1866, he established the first U.S. skating rink in Rhode Island. Before we talk about Atlanta's love affair with roller skating, I think we need to talk about the Victorian amusements. So for the first time in modern history, people are moving from agrarian to industrial. They have time and money to think of things like entertainment. And they were going to the theater, watching sports, attending the circus. Um, They were going to traveling shows. All these things came about around that time. This was also a time of really, really strict societal rules and roles and cues. And we see that come into play even with skating. The skating trend took the nation by storm, not only because it was new, but it was an activity for men and women to do together, allowing Victorian couples to be together without a rigid chaperone. Basically, there were some things that could go on in the rink that were no was noticed. In 1869, just four years after the end of the Civil War and the eve of the collapse of Reconstruction, Atlanta got its first roller rink. The second floor of the Glen and Wright Warehouse, which stood at the corner of Forsyth Street and the railroad tracks, was being laid with two-and-a-half-inch dovetailed planks. It had a stage for bands, especially local favorite the Starlight Brass Band, and three rooms, one for skate rental, one as a ladies' lounge, and one for the men to get ready. It was open from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays, and the afternoons of Monday and Wednesday. 
Those sessions during the afternoons, they were free for all ladies and children, but regular tickets would run you 50 cents with an extra quarter for skate rental. Once inside, lessons were available from Mr. Fenton, who was called the Professor of Skatology. And I found very little information about him, but he was apparently a big enough deal because when Birmingham, Alabama opened their rink in March of 1870, he traveled with Atlanta with other Atlanta skaters um, to the grand opening. By the start of the 1880s, Atlanta was a different place. The population continued to grow and the city was knee deep in preparations for the 1881 International Cotton Exposition which I talked about in episode 83. Expecting a huge influx of visitors, the city's enterprising businessmen were busy opening up places for visitors to have fun. There is a record of a new rink opened in 1880. It was located on East Hunter Street and operated by William A. Jack. There was another in 1884 on North Prior Street that was opened by Mr. Neal and Mr. Kars, and they hired a guy named Perino Jordan, who was a local skating phenom and the keeper of the skates, as they were called. The rink also installed an electric light over their door on the sidewalk so it was easy to find. The same year, Atlanta had a visit from George Stephen, who was the inventor of the increasingly popular Stephen's roller skate, and he came to look into opening up his own rink. So I looked up this um, skate. It wasn't patented until 1898, but the model of this skate or the style was used through the 1950s. It's really hard to explain through a podcast, but it's like a little metal cage for your feet. Very reminiscent of those Fisher Price skates um, from the 80s that you got when you were like five. It didn't really work. In December of 1884, the Globe Rink opened inside the Austell building, and it was managed by Stevens and Kenworthy. Within a month, it had already expanded their skating surface, installed a better floor, and updated an elegant ladies' parlor. It was super popular. It would have special events like wheelbarrow races, Yes, on skates, and that would attract local youth, as you can imagine. Uh, But of course, it was clearly marketed with a basically stern warning as to who was welcome to skate. The ad from the newspaper says verbatim, quote, if patronage is not from the best people of the city, they will not remain open longer than this fact is found out. They come here to cater to the better class, and no one will be allowed to enter the rink who is at all objectionable to any lady. Cards have been issued into the best people as far as possible. In this way, only the dignity of the rink can be kept up. End quote. And that brings us to discussion of roller skating while black. Across the country, African Americans were looking at access to amusements as a symbol of their civil rights, their equality as citizens. In 1885 in Boston, a man named Richard Brown took on their local skating rink segregationist policies. Similar to bicycles, roller skating became a symbol of equal rights and a factor prominently in the later civil rights movement. But at the core, Black Atlantans wanted to skate just like everybody else. This was a super fun thing that people were doing. Rinks here would not integrate for another century, and even then we can get into some nuanced conversation. So just like with everything they did, the the Black community opened their own establishments. But the white power structure wasn't going to make that easy. Moses Bentley, who I talked about in the African American Parks episode, and I'll be talking about him in next week's episode, owned a rink on Broad Street. White residents filed complaint after complaint of, quote, crowd of Negro men and women who congregate at the rink make the night hideous, end quote. So the police arrest Bentley and charge him with keeping a disorderly house. 
And this is insane because Bentley is a model citizen. He was captain of a volunteer militia. He held elected office. He was a business owner. And I'm not saying that he has to do any of those things to qualify to not be arrested. But this information helps me understand that these charges were baseless and levied just to make sure black people were not able to participate in amusements that were deemed for white. And the saddest part about this research is that because I don't have archives, or I don't know if anybody has archives, of the really old black press, the story of African-American rinks in Atlanta is brief and one-sided. As is the case with all new trends, fads, or even technologies in our modern age, there was pushback about the moral and dangerous aspects of roller skating. Pastors and ministers across the country were speaking out about the immorality of skating, lumping it in categories like dancing and theater and, you know, anything fun. Several deaths occurred in Atlanta that had parents on edge. Maggie Sullivan had gone skating at the Globe Rink, and she fell, landing on the back of her head. She lost consciousness, uh, woke up, went home, didn't tell her parents. And so in the middle of the night when she woke up with head pains, by the time the doctor arrived, he warned the family she would not make it through the night. There was reference to a Miss Solomon and a Mrs. Oscar Collier that also had died from roller skating injuries, but I couldn't find many details about their stories. By the 1890s, the roller skating trend was beginning to die down nationally, and most of the earliest rinks had closed for good. That in no way stopped children from skating, and so what you see in the papers is a great debate on how to address those skating in the street. In 1899, Atlanta police court passed a no-skating-on-asphalt law, much to the delight of anti-skaters, who said that boys get in the way of vehicles and catch hold of wagons and carriages to go up hills, and that is dangerous. And skaters pushed back, and they tagged onto the bicycle advocate, saying, you know, we have the same rights as bicyclists. Two wheels, eight wheels, doesn't matter. The day after the law passed, police arrested Earl McDaniel, one of the white children who skated on Peachtree Street, and the judge dismissed him. So the judge, I think they arrested him to, you know, as a show of force. And the judge issued a warning to the 100 boys who regularly skate on Peachtree and on Washington streets and said, listen, you can't do this or we're going to arrest you. Post turn of the century, skating regains its popularity and we see several rinks open. In 1905, a new rink for whites opened downtown. It was called the Peachtree Auditorium. They also debuted the new roller polo, which from what I can tell is what I grew up calling street hockey, but roller polo was hugely popular. It would be played all the way into the 1920s. And this rink was a huge deal for the city because skaters had, like I said, been relegated to the asphalt. And again, marketing was, they were saying, okay, look, now here's a place for you to go, but remember, it's only for the very best element. In the same year, there's brief mention of a rink opened for black skaters, and then along with it was an incredibly racist cartoon of a figure in blackface stumbling over his skates and plowing down a young woman. I'm not sure if this same black skating rink um, was the one that was being announced in the Fourth Ward. So most people don't know this, but the land that is today the site of Ebenezer Church, the the old one, and the um, MLK National Park and the King Center... That corner was the old circus grounds. And if you listen to the episode about the Ashley Ordinance, you know that the white city representative of the Fourth Ward were tirelessly working to stem the tide of what they considered quote-unquote Negro encroachment. So when plans for the new rink reached the councilman there, 
he proposes a new ordinance immediately to city council that skating rinks only be allowed to operate in the business district, so only downtown, and that all new rinks must be approved and released by the mayor and city council. Now, later that year, with that law in effect, Atlanta would get one of its most popular skating rinks in history, the St. Nicholas. I talked about Ponce de Leon Amusement Park in the Ponce City Market episode, but I didn't really get into specific amusements and what was there. The St. Nicholas rink was all geared up to open in August of 1905, when J.G. Rossman, who was the president of the company, pulled the plug. He insisted it was not ready, but hundreds of people showed up anyway, and they brought their own skates. So the paper says that that night, they skated the night away, but with no electric lights turned on. No fear, the rink formally opened just days later, with several hundred couples circling the floor. And St. Nicholas would host the biggest roller skating stars from across the country, usually performing on week-long sets before moving on to a new city. There was Wastel and White, the male-female duo dubbed the best skaters in the country. There was Miss Bertha Dowd Mack, who made her southern debut at Ponds when she was here skating for the famous Anna Held. In 1907, St. Nicholas hosted Kinzo, the world-renowned Japanese skater-juggler, and A.J. Self, who skated the rink on stilts attached to roller skates. There was a race featuring Harley-Davidson, and before you ask, it's not that Harley-Davidson. This is probably the strangest fact I learned in this research, which is Harley-Davidson was a famous roller skater from Milwaukee, which is the same city where the famous motorcycle company started. The rink also hosted the wedding of Louise White and Ellis Watley. She was a professional skater from Cincinnati doing a week-long tour at Ponds, and she met Ellis, who worked as the rink's cashier. Apparently, it was love at first sight, and the two had their wedding on the floor of the rink with the entire wedding party donning skates. In 1915, Atlanta saw the grand opening of the Peachtree Skating Rink inside the old Chapman Alexander building. It was operated by the Atlanta Amusement Company, and they had room for 400 skaters, and they had two separate rinks. Uh, The inside rink was for beginners, and the outside was for pros. This is noted in the papers as being the first rink in quite some time. So it was joined by the casino rink, which was downtown on Pryor near Mitchell. And the casino rink actually had a tragic accident in 1916. The roof collapsed while hundreds of skaters were there. I think it was three or four people died and a dozen injured. Um, Firemen had to chop away the building debris to find skaters trapped underneath. I think this seemed to signal the end of skating for a few years in the city because we don't see rinks open up until the 1920s. In 1924, J.R. Spiller opened a rink at Spiller Field. If you listen to the Atlanta Crackers episode, you'll know that that's the stadium where the city's baseball team played, which is today where Home Depot and Whole Foods is across from Pond City Market. It looks like Spiller constructed a building that was a roller rink, but it could also be used as a basketball court. Ten years later, in 1932, the Palais Peachtree Skating Rink was approved to be open at Peachtree Street and Grant Place. It had formerly operated as a dance hall that apparently had gone back to the bank, so they bought it and they opened it as a roller skating venue. 
And this was the first rink to open in eight years. So it would do big business. They had extra events like roller skating races, um, exhibitions by Rex Powers, who was a famous skating champion. Three years after that, Atlanta's Western Union Telegraph office, which was the third largest in the world, would buy 46 pairs of skates for their clerks to run around the office in. So there's kind of like roller skating mania in this time. In 1937, roller rink hockey made its debut at Lakewood Park. And in the same year, African-American skating was happening at Gammon Theological Seminary, which had recently moved from the Y as to, quote, not disturb the residential section, end quote. In 1938, another rink opened on North Avenue between the peach trees, and it was called the Atlanta Roller Skating Casino. So even with all of these options, children of all races are still skating in the streets. You have to remember, it's a depression. Um, times are tough. So the city's trying to open these rinks for people to attend, but a lot of people couldn't afford to pay to roller skate. There had been two accidents between kids and motorists in 1936. And so the city had more ordinances banning street skating. I mean, it feels like every single decade the city tries to address this. In 1938, Ralph McGill wrote an op-ed in the paper. He had just returned from France, and he's sharing how the French created small concrete pads scattered through the city for kids to skate on, and he would love to see them in Atlanta. For black children in Atlanta, since they had no ranks, I found mention that in the 30s, the Works Progress Administration was hosting street events for them. So they would block off certain roads. And of course, neighboring white residents were freaking out about having these spaces closed. There was um, quite a local drama. I think it was East Blount Street um, in East Point, but this happened all over the city. In 1939, the Roller Drome opened at 634 Penn Avenue at the corner of Ponce de Leon. Before you ask, the building is not there today, but this was one of the most popular venues for white Atlanta skaters coming out of the Depression through the 1940s. It was home to the Atlanta Figure Skating Club. It had skate dance classes where you could learn to conga on wheels. There were strict rules about attire. Um, for the ladies, because it's only for the ladies. And it said, you can't have the nude look. And quote, skirts must be no shorter than the fingertip length and no midriff outfits, no blue jeans, and no dungarees. So again, trying to control who came to the venue by telling you what you could wear. By the 1940s, roller derby had made its way to Atlanta and women's teams from across the country are playing at the city armory under the name of the Atlanta Crackers which I thought was funny. They just recycled that name for every sports team. The sport would persist into the 60s. It still happens today. I know some people that do roller derby um, in the pre-COVID times, at least. I think they play at the Masonic Temple on Ponce. In 1957, Lakewood Amusement Park was the place for Atlantans to skate. There was even a roller skating wedding there as well. The couple had met while skating and decided to tie the knot while wearing them. As the civil rights movement began, roller skating was used again as a symbol of equal rights. There was a man named Ledger Smith, known as quote-unquote Roller Man, who skated 685 miles from Chicago to D.C. to attend the March on Washington, wearing a sign around his neck that said freedom. When public and private businesses desegregated in 1964, formerly white skating rinks, although legally desegregated, started to hold theme nights with things like Soul Night or Hell Night, and these were used often in Detroit. It was explicitly targeted for African-American skaters. Skating culture never seemed to die in Atlanta. 
with rinks like Jelly Beans, Skate Town, Cascade, Golden Glide, and the Sparkles Empire. I polled you guys on social media um, asking where you had skated in Metro Atlanta as a kid or as an adult. I got so many responses. Of course, the ones I just mentioned, but there was also the Cooler, All-American Skate, Skate Along, Stone Mountain Skates, Dazzles, Playland, and a whole bunch of church basements and gyms. So I think there's gonna maybe be a part two here where I can talk about these iconic skating rinks that are still open, struggling to stay open. I know that, um, I think Cascade was just in the news recently. So there you have it, the earliest history of Atlanta's roller skating past. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or review. You can also visit the Patreon page in the show notes to support the podcast and listen to bonus mini episodes for doing so. Have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.